0: today on The Rita Made Me Do It Show.
1: My advice was always play every single show you would ever get offered, as long as you had the time to do it. And it didn't cost you money. You know, don't pay to play, but if like if you play the opening of an envelope, pay a kid's birthday party, you will always get better, you will learn how to be in front of an audience. And learning to be in front of an audience isn't necessarily about making people like your music, it's also about learning what they don't like about your music, you know? One of the best benefits of being a musician is you get that instant feedback. And one of the nicest things about it is while you're playing, you don't get the feedback. You can just kind of get lost in the song. Most people will clap politely at the end of the song unless it's just god awful. It's unlike a comedian where you get instant feedback of whether you suck or not. Um, So I think you get to, you know, you get to sharpen your skills, both presentation and actual song quality, I think is really important. And I think translating that to entrepreneurship, Unless somebody is so far afield from what you do, take every meeting and take every phone call. Because of Rita, I got on the news.
0: Because of Rita, I had 15 speaking
1: engagements last year.
0: Because of Rita, I've become a six-figure business owner. Because, because of Rita, I've doubled my revenue by, by doubling employee. my clients. I'm Rita, business strategist, speaker, and success coach also known as the gal who went on 35 dates in 35 days and blogged all about it. And this is the Rita Mimi Do It Show, where every week I bring you the real information about what it takes to go all in on your dreams so that you can build a profitable business and live a positive life. Some weeks I'll have a guest, and others it'll be just you and me, like we're out on my deck sharing a bottle of wine. The conversation, yeah, it'll be that real. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode. I'm so excited because this week I have a guest. I can't wait to introduce you to him. His name is Daryl Berg. Now, Daryl and I were friends long, long ago. We're talking like when Rita was at GW, I knew Daryl. Daryl was in law school. I was in awe of Daryl because Daryl was on the career path that I wanted to be on. Back in the day, I had my sights set on being an entertainment lawyer. I was going to move out to LA, it was going to be incredible. I'm very happy with the way that my life has um, turned out. But I always followed Daryl. We kept in touch here or there, but it's been a long time since we talked. And there was something that made him pop up in my feed the other day. And I was like, oh, this is such an important conversation to have. He's got so many great takeaways. And I know that you all are just going to learn so much from Daryl. I'm really excited to introduce you to him. So Daryl right now, just so you kind of have some background on who he is, he is the vice president for music strategies and licensing for Crown Media, which is a parent company of the Hallmark Channel, Hallmark movies, right? Hallmark everything, dot, dot, dot. He oversees all the music strategy there, which is really, really cool. I mean, who doesn't love a good Hallmark movie, right? He's also launched three businesses. He was like the director of music for Fuel TV. Um, He basically spearheaded the music strategy for that entire network. He was the business development uh, director for EMI Music. That was one of the jobs that I was just so envious for. I don't even think EMI is EMI anymore. And he... He really got it. That's how he really got his start was in corporate America was that. But before that, right out of law school, he started his first company, the first of three called The Orchard. And that actually turned into, you know, a really viable company. He sold it. I mean, an incredible trajectory of his career full of so many different insights and lessons. And I'm really excited to have him here today. So. Daryl, thank you so much for being here with me today. I really appreciate it. Welcome. It has been so long since we have talked. I know. Do you know what I remember? Like the last time that we talked, I was in law school. I was in an entertainment law class and I was writing a paper about music. And so I came to you for an interview and I still have it. I couldn't find it, but I, I still have that paper and I still have your quote. But this is when Napster was really like, Hot and like becoming a thing. And record labels were really fighting, right? They were really fighting to keep the traditional model of.
1: Yeah, I was opposed in that that case.
0: Were you really? I didn't know that. I didn't know that. And so I just remember that you were the one that said to me, look, they're fighting a losing battle, right? Like the music industry needs to pivot and adjust and keep up with what's going on because it's just going to always be a cat and Mouse game, right? I remember you said you were like, new tech is always going to develop. That's going to cause issues and cause problems, and then the record labels are going to fight it, and then it's just going to happen again and again. So, what direction for you has the music industry taken that you've really loved? Like when you look at back when we met, and it was like traditional top five record labels controlled everything, and we're going to talk about how that helped you spur your own business and. Well, minute. now it's
1: three record labels.
0: Now it's three record labels, right? But like for the better. I mean, I. I've talked to some musicians who are like, they don't feel like the industry has necessarily changed for the better, but what are some of the,
1: I totally disagree with that. Tell me what I I think since then there's been a demo. Okay. So you still obviously have the top feeders, the bottom feeders, the long tail and all that. What you don't have, what you have a little bit more now is you have the democratization of music. So you can actually make, there's more of a middle class, right? It used to be either you were a big artist or you had a day job. And now you can make, you can build your fan base and all that where you can tour well you used to be able to tour and put out records and make Spotify streams and all that. And you can actually be a decent living. You can also be a composer. There's so much more work for composers out there. So I think that the music industry and I'm talking about the music industry, not the record industry. Those are two very different things. Um, I think the music industry has gotten much more democratic and, you know, more disintermediated. Now, you know, everybody who says, oh, well, look, you know, Radiohead has all this success about without a major label, and that I'm always like, that's an asterisk because they started on major. I'm talking about, like, you know, people who play living room concerts and tour and make a living and people who do, co- you know, it used to be, like, the coffee shop person was working at the coffee shop after their gig. Now you can do a tour, make some money. You can connect with your fans a lot easier. So I think while, you know, you may not be, Rock star, Hollywood Hills, Porsche millionaire, you actually could, you know, make a good living, you know, living in Denver and having a nice, you know, and not have to have a day job. And I think that's the big key, make music full
0: time. When I say back in the day, I'm talking like, I'm talking like it was, it was like oh, 20, 20 years ago or so, yeah. right? So that's like- 20 when years first... ago, it
1: hadn't taken off, but I also have a theory that everything takes 10 years on the internet, right? In, in the yeah. US. Text message. Yeah started 10, 15 years ago, took off 10 years ago. You know, everyone said, oh, the CDs are going to be gone in five years. Nope. 10 years.
0: Yeah, 10 years. Everything is
1: like 10 years from early adopter to mass adoption. That's my thing. Okay. Look Look at Twitter. Twitter is probably the biggest thing starting. I mean, obviously, there's been interesting factors contributing to that. But for it to be really this mechanism for whatever it's a mechanism for, whether you love it or you hate it, it's really, you know, it took 10 years for the zeitgeist to kind of explode on it.
0: Yeah. So I knew from when I was in college and then you were in law school and then I went to law school. So we had like this whole like legal thing in common. But you started your own business right in law school, right out of law school? I started
1: right out of law school. So I was I uh, was approached by two other gentlemen. One is a very well-known record producer and other ones a music industry guy. And they just liked what I had to say. They liked my spirit. They probably liked it and have to pay me a lot and got a lot of work. It was basically sweat equity, and they said, let's go ahead and do this, and and we started the company.
0: But the company was to do exactly what we were just talking about, to put more power in the hands of the artists to control their Careers because back then there wasn't a lot of ability right, for right
1: exactly it was getting getting that. physical it was, and this was it wasn't even digital at the time it was just getting physical distribution for independent artists.
0: Tell me a little bit. So the name of the company was The Orchard. Tell me a little bit about the concept behind it, what it was all about, and why it was that you went that route instead of you know landing a traditional job right out of yeah it was a
1: really bad loss to me.
0: Yeah, so was I true. didn't
1: have a lot of op- I didn't have a lot of opportunities, uh, and if I did, you know, I probably and, and I, I sort of was like, great, I have my job. It was exciting. Let's go ahead and run with it. And it basically was we got physical product into digital stores. This was when those companies called CD now, Amazon. I think at the time only sold books and music, which is crazy to think of. Napster didn't exist yet, so people weren't really listening to digital music. They were listening to they were acquiring music digitally, but they weren't. You know, physical CDs were being mailed to you. Essentially, it was like a mail-order distributor, but it was a new version because we actually just used the Internet. We didn't have our stuff in physical stores, all that type of stuff. So what the interesting quirk was we acquired the digital rights to the music. So once that happened, we could then sell it digitally and physically. That was the big quirk.
0: But it was helping get things into stores. But... I seem to remember a component too that allowed artists to sell their own merchandise. Allowed artists to kind of like sell their own. T- Is that right? Am I remembering that no, correctly? No, we didn't.
1: I don't think they brought in merch till after I left.
0: Oh, okay. So maybe I was still watching it after you left. So I want to talk a little bit though about did you did you even become licensed? Yes, I. I so
1: I started the company June third, nineteen ninety eight. I filed the LLC paperwork. I think June fourth, I started my law school review class for the bar, and then I would literally go to the review class, go home, change, go to the office, tear down walls if needed to be, did a little bit of work, go back home to the library and study. And I did that for the first month. And then July, I took off from the company and just studied all of July. Uh, Took the bar, I guess, What is the bar? August, end of August, I think?
0: Yeah, somewhere
1: around there. Um, You know, acted like of counsel, had of counsel working with me, acted like business affairs, did everything I could to develop the company. And then passed the bar in November. By the time I was sworn in in March, I had already evolved my role from the legal stuff to more business development and strategy.
0: Yeah,
1: but I still pay my dues. I still pay my three seventy five every two
0: years. I don't. I'm inactive. I went inactive with the bar the minute that I could go inactive. I
1: went. I'm inactive, but I'm non CLE active.
0: Oh, okay. I don't have to do continuing legal
1: education, but I just I could look. I'm going to pay one hundred fifty thousand dollars for law school. I'm going to pay an extra ten thousand to make well, sure I die with it. That
0: was one of my one of my questions was well, yeah. So I still do that too. But um, one of my questions was, do you feel like law school was still? Do you look back on law school with regrets? Like I wasted no because that on? that
1: would just drive me crazy. No, I think law school was good. I, I don't think I was mature enough for law school when I went. I think I should have taken a couple of years off. I think everybody should take a couple of years off before law yeah. school, and I think get your senioritis out of the way. You know, I remember my senior year of college, I was. A crazy person um, <laughs> doing everything and anything I could that came my way. So I think that couple years off really evolves you. And I also think law school taught me a way to think. I'm a deconstructionist by nature, which is I want to look at something and break everything down into its parts. But what law school does is then it helps you rebuild them. Yeah. And rebuild it into a cogent argument. It helps you think. It helps you, you know, know when to know when to push your point and know when to back off. Sometimes I need to learn a little about. Yeah, office. I was gonna say. Uh, I don't know see, if I
0: learned. I don't know if I learned I'm, that that well. I'm
1: pretty freaking tenacious. Yeah. So.
0: Well, I agree. Uh, I agree that law school. So same thing, right? Like I haven't used my law degree for six years, seven years now, and. um People always ask, "Oh, do you feel like you wasted all that money?" Do you? It's like, no, it put me exactly where I needed to be to get all the opportunities, and it gives me a lot of legitimacy as an entrepreneur to say oh. I was an attorney for thirteen years and now I run my own business. Right? I have a lot more clout with that. Uh, but I say it were, gives
1: me gravitas.
0: Gravitas. I like that. Did you go into law school though thinking that your career was going to be in the music industry? Is that I why wanted you
1: were- either music or film?
0: Okay. Were you born out of the womb, just like loving the entertainment industry? What made you, yeah. were your so parents that, really into really it?
1: weird. The only stereo in my house was in my sister's room. Okay. We did not have a family stereo. I do not recall my mother ever listening to music, ever. Oh, okay. My sisters were pretty big into music and being the youngest, you kind of absorbed that. But I was into very different music they were into, except for like one record, which is really crazy. And- my dad listened to music a little bit and played the harmonica, but it was like old folky stuff that was kind of not, like people made fun of like the Andrew sisters and all that folks, not folky. So the music was just like, you know, I was always into music, even when I wasn't the music I'm into now. And then just when I was like 15 and that sullen teenager that just something clicked in me and I went, you know, I always loved it. But when I was 15, it just, you know, it, like many 15 year olds, it just kind of took over my world and my brain.
0: And that's when you were like, I have to play the woodwinds in high school. Is that what happened?
1: No, I I started playing guitar. I played clarinet. and I've always played it. Music was big in my house, but it was a means to an end. It was like something that looked good on your resume. Yeah, right. Exactly. My sisters always played violin. I played violin. I tried violin. I played clarinet. I played saxophone for six years. I picked up guitar when I was 15. I know a little bit of theory, so I know enough to talk to composers and – and, you know, I'm a musical dilettante in that sense. i like, I know a little bit of everything. I'm, I'm deep in a few elements, but I kind of can have any conversation with any musician and I'm okay. Unless you yeah, want to thanks. talk about like classical, neoclassical or new age, and I'm kind of lost.
0: So like in your house, music was the means to it, like a scholarship or whatever, getting into- well, Yeah, like, it was right? like,
1: it looked good on your resume.
0: Exactly. But for you, music itself became a passion and then you turned that passion into a business, which is actually something that I really caution people about. Not that you can't have your own business spur from your passion. But you know, the actual definition of passion right? is an uncontrollable emotion. So it's like, I literally get so when people are like, I need to work my passion, like I have to start a business. That's my passion. Let's talk about the reality of having music as your passion. And then this comes to your door. It's like, here is your ability to to create a business that is doing everything that you love. And it sounds so sexy. And it sounds so like, this is going to be amazing. And my life is just going to be incredible. Tell me the reality of actually starting a business and building a business, right? Versus the expectation that you have in your head when you're thinking about your dream career, your dream job being your passion.
1: I think the challenge with the passion is this, when you're passionate about what you do. And it's funny, I'm passionate about as much and I get excited about as much of the business side as I do about the creative, which just makes me a little bit unique in that there are people in my side of the business who just do creative, who just do administrative, who just do, you know, what's the word? Strategy. I do all of that. So it's a little bit of an odd duck thing, but. Here's the challenge with passion. When I have a good day, it's a great day. When I have a bad day, it's a terrible day because it means, and I'm not saying that this isn't the case with an accountant or a lawyer or a mercantile salesman or whatever, but- I feel like it means a little bit more to me when I have a bad day and I've internalized. As somebody who turned their passion into a career, I think I internalize things more. If somebody doesn't call me back, oh, it's something wrong with me. If the numbers don't add up, okay, I screw that up. If the sound isn't that good, I feel insecure about something. I think there's a lot more. But I also think creative people in general are more insecure than than more left person
0: people. Well, I agree. I agree. But how do you, as an entrepreneur, that's also one of the biggest things that holds entrepreneurs back because they're like, what will people think of me? Or they're rejecting me. They're not rejecting my service. It's, it's So then they don't want to like go out and sell. They don't want to go out and approach people because what if I fail or what if people say no? So how do you reconcile the two Right of internalizing something, but then also being able to move forward in your business?
1: That was the hardest thing for me when I was on my own. I mean, The Orchard was different because I had people, a group, and crazy all time was different because I had another person. The other one sound canyon was just me. And it would be really hard. I'd be pitching for a gig or pitching for a client and it wouldn't happen. And then somebody else who I knew would get it that I'm like, I'm better than them. And that whole, you know, take your ego out of it is so incredibly hard when your paycheck is matters about taking your ego out of it. It's an, it's one thing on a social element, it's a whole other thing on a on a bottom line element.
0: Well, do you have any, to, like, how did you do it? Did you do it or were you just was, terrible I at it? That's why just I, like... I, I, you
1: just know, I was bad at it. I was good at it if it was somebody that I had a real connection with. If I could connect with them, I was great at it. We became friends, we're still friends. I always got rehired. But if it was like a cold call where I couldn't develop that rapport and it was just based on like cold hard facts, I was really hard about it. I was bad about following up. Sometimes I do it way too much. And then of course you seem a little thirsty and if you follow up too much, you're like, well, what is this guy doing that he's following up so much? that he doesn't have a lot of business. So obviously I'm not going to hire the guy with a lot of business. I want the busy guy.
0: Yeah, no, I love that. So I tell a lot of my clients, right? I say, look, here's like one of the keys to – to building your own business is you have to unattach from the results, meaning you have to just believe they're coming and that you're going to be successful. Like it's completely and totally inevitable. It's going to happen. Could it be the people you're talking to? Could it be the strategy you're employing that brings that success? Sure. Could also be some random way that you don't even know is going to happen that brings you that success? Absolutely. So then when you are talking to somebody and you are pitching somebody or you're... You don't care if that person says yes or no because you know it's coming. Like it doesn't have to be – you're unattached from where it comes from or how it comes right. to you while being certain that it's coming. But I love one thing that you said about um, the thing about passion because kind of when I theme every episode, although I'm not really going to ask you that many questions about it, which is really funny. But all I kept coming up with you was turning your passion into a business, right, and how right. to actually like really do that. And one thing you just said was, you know, I was passionate about – or I am passionate about the business side – too. And I think that that's the biggest problem or complication when people decide to quit their corporate America job to turn their passion of yoga or to turn their passion of whatever into a bit. I always go after the yoga people. I'm sorry, guys. But like to turn their passion into a business, they don't have a passion for business. Like they don't actually want to market, to sell, to network. And they're hoping that just loving what they do is enough to build a successful business. I would say that the difference between a successful entrepreneur and a non-successful one is you have to have a passion for the business side. Do you agree with that or disagree with
1: oh, it? Oh, you have to. Look, you know, in music, you know, you think of most artists as they do the music and their manager does the business. But most of the bands that I know that are truly, truly successful have managed their music career like a business from day one.
0: Yeah. No, that's something that I even, I wanted to talk to you about a little bit because to parallel music to entrepreneurship, music is a business. And I think that the most successful musicians are going to be the ones that put on the CEO hat. Right. And to me, the difference between an employee. They
1: put on the CEO hat until they can no longer do both jobs. But everyone's like, you know, in my life, I've always been like, I have all, I've always heard of these people, like I have all these songs and I need a manager. I'm like, you don't need a manager. So you can't no, no longer do it yourself.
0: So you can't do it yourself. So you can't do it on, on your own anymore. Right. But The difference to me between, in this case especially, between the CEO and the employee when you put it in the world of musicians, right? A musician and entrepreneurs, they're waiting to get discovered. That's the employee mindset to me. I'm just waiting till somebody discovers my talents and and sees how good I am and they're just gonna like escalate me to the top, right? Versus that CEO that's out there grinding and hustling and getting visible and and making contacts and doing, that. you have to have that ability to step into that role or you're not going to be successful at all. And that's the biggest parallel, I think, between entrepreneurship and musicians is the self, you know, being self-determined and being self-made and having that ability to want to monetize a passion.
1: It's interesting that you say that because I think as a sole practitioner and as a musician, you absolutely have to do everything you can to get noticed. Look at me, look at me, look at me. And, you know, whatever, however that goes. But within the context of a company, I actually think, you have to balance that. You can't do that too much because, A, you'll piss off your coworkers. And the person who's always looking for credit is a really good way to not want to work with them.
0: Yeah, like being yes, being an employee on a team of people, right? The the clients that I represent the most, or that I represent like I'm still in a trade, but the clients that I work with the most, the entrepreneurs are they're solopreneurs. It's just them. Maybe they have a couple of uh, contractors, right? A graphic designer on contract, a virtual assistant on contract, things like that. But it's just their biggest hesitation, though, is they have a fear of getting. Seen. They think, oh, I'm being too annoying, or I'm talking about my services too much, or or I'm like, I'm talking about my business too much. People are gonna be annoyed by me. They don't wanna hear about this. Oh, if they want me, they know what I do. They'll come to me, right? And they'll hire me. To put it back in the world of musicians, because you help pull musicians out, right, and get their music placed into a variety of different. That's one aspect of what you do, right? So I'm imagining people are pitching you through whatever jobs you've had, like all your life, saying, listen to my music.
1: I get pitched from every major music label, pretty much almost every independent music label. I get pitched from every composer agency, every individual composer, individual artists. I probably, I should do this one day once we're out of this crazy time we're in where people are making more music and count how many emails per week I get of somebody saying, I want you to use my music. I want you to use my composer. I wanted to do something because it's yeah. a lot.
0: So how then do people stand out to you, or do they, or do you just get those and ignore them, and you have your contacts and your people that you uh, go to?
1: It depends on how busy I am. I tend to try to listen to everything that I think makes sense. If somebody sends it to me like screaming metal from Germany, I'm going to be like, yeah, that's not really a use of my time. But you know, if it feels like it's in the wheelhouse in the description and, and it's even remotely professional presentation, I'll listen.
0: What makes somebody stand out to you to get noticed, right? Because I think that standing out in a crowded marketplace in general is hard no matter what you do. And I know people are always asking me, but Rita, how, especially right now, well, everybody's online. Everybody's doing everything online, putting everything on the internet. What makes a good pitch to you? What makes somebody stand out? What makes somebody different?
1: See, here's the thing. For me, I don't have to worry about the person being successful. I just have to worry about a good song. Um, You know that—that's for people pitching me music. If it's a composer, yeah, I want to sit and talk with them and see how personable they are and how they can understand the words I'm saying because composers translate music into action. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, but as far as the music, it's just got to be a good. I mean, look—if somebody sends me an email with 17 spelling mistakes and grammar and all that, there's a chance I might delete it. But most of the time, I will listen because I feel like if somebody took the time to reach out, look, it takes so little time for me to listen to a song. You know, I can tell whether a song is useful in the first five seconds. So, which I should never tell people that about the creative process, but it's it's true. It's
0: true. It's true.
1: And you know, it's also that also remember for me, it's not whether it's a good song, it's whether it's a useful song. Yeah. And hopefully those two things cross over. But if you're
0: so if you're looking at a musician as an entrepreneur, which I do, right, then the angle for the musician would be come at your music. From a genuine, authentic place, right? Write music that you really care about, write music that is, I don't know, that, that's serving a need in your life or something like that. Just like entrepreneurs, when they look at how many people are seeing me, how many people are liking me, how many people are following me, how many, and they're not really paying attention to does my service meet a need in the marketplace? Like, am I solving a problem, right? Like if you come at it from, am I really genuinely authentically solving a problem? So when I contact somebody, I'm saying, hey, you have this problem and I have a solution, you're more likely to get noticed, right? Than if you're coming at it from, look at me, pay attention oh, to me, I want to be-
1: No, at. no, you're, I mean, look, I always say use a laser, not a shotgun. There's so many people who I get this email and it says, dear Daryl, and then it's just this generic pitch that has nothing to do with what I do. The most impressive way to pitch me is go, Dear Daryl, I noticed you use this song in a Hallmark movie. My sound is similar to this person. Or, dear Daryl, I have composed music for movies that are like this, this and this and it makes sense because this is the type of thing I can do. Or, dear Daryl, I have a business that can help, you know, reach different amount of audiences or help you catalog your music or whatever. So, there's that.
0: No, I love that. And so to put it for all y'all listening out there, because you know I've said this before, right? You've got to do your research. And that's the same for when you're on the internet and you see somebody say, wow, does anybody know a business coach? I'm I'm looking for a business coach. Don't just respond and say, I'm a business coach and I'd love to talk to you. Like, go look at their page, read about them, read about their business and say, oh, hey, I see that you work with people who blah, 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 and that your business is on path to X, Y, Z. And that's what I help with. Like, that's what I do. I help. When you are personal with the people you're reaching out to. And that's one thing I kind of wanted to talk to you about because when I was, you know, stalking you online, I saw that when you got promoted, I guess promoted in your own company, maybe it was for SoundCloud that you moved up, that you got promoted. But
1: I I was always (laughs) the same thing.
0: I was like did you get promoted and I swear it was SoundCloud but anyway there was somebody who promoted you and they said half of the reason was because of your network right because of who you know you had done a really good job cultivating contacts and cultivating I That was
1: probably Shine Revelate I think that's Shine
0: it Shine it was it that was it it was Shine I knew it began with the Yeah, I was I was correct on um,
1: And it's funny but that network right now you know we don't have a lot of my main most important job not my main job but and the thing that takes up the most time is me taking scores, soundtracks, or scores of movies and making them sound the best they can, working with the composer and the executives. The problem is, is that we don't have a lot of movies in production. So what I've now been doing is turning to my network to create other things because musicians aren't working as much now and all this other stuff. So to create Projects that actually use my network. So, whether it's marketing, whether it's bringing in artists to develop movies around. So, I am, you know, and, and I seem to be, you know, really enjoying what I'm doing right now with that. And I, I am enjoying what I'm doing with that. But going back to the laser or shotgun, people are always yeah. like, I need a manager. Let me find any manager. I need this. And here's an analogy that popped into my head you wouldn't order something at a restaurant without looking at the menu to know what kind of restaurant you're at. So, why would you do anything else? Yeah, so you can yeah. use that analogy. I don't know if it's good or not. I'll 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 workshop it and get back to you.
0: <laughs> Thanks, I appreciate that. Um I want to talk a little bit though about the networking and the personal outreach right? because musicians are a product musicians themselves are both the entrepreneur and the the product of their business. And so they have to build an audience around them. You have to build connections, whether it's other professionals, whether it's uh, venues, whether it's people in the industry, right? You've built a really good network. I know you're really great at networking. What would you say to people who are like, I'm terrible at networking. I'm an introvert. Outreach is hard for me. How have you built such a great network? How if business is who you know, and not what you know and it's important to right. know people well, how would you it's
1: not, it, that, you it's not only that an idiot, so
0: yeah you could totally be i mean I, yes there are a lot of idiots out there who network but if you were to write like a five page book on how to be an effective networker what would tips be because that is a skill of yours that's a strength of yours
1: the best lesson i got there's a gentleman named richard gotter the best wow. lesson that i ever got from richard was probably how to do a business meal And drink a really good bottle of wine with it and and alcohol and understand that you're selling yourself as a person, as somebody who wants to talk to you because they want to talk to you. Business is secondary, which is ironic because I'm really good at meals. I'm really horrible at big gatherings. Like I'm really uncomfortable okay. at big Gathering. I don't want to sit there with a drink. Well, no, if it's a if it's a show, like a rock show. Obviously, I've spent you know I've probably been to two thousand of those in my life, if not more, and that's not an exaggeration. I think I did the yeah. math the other day, and it was like twenty five hundred ballpark. So that's different. But you know, if it's like a networking thing, we're like, hi, my name is so and so, and I'd like to talk to you about selling lettuce, whatever it is. So I'm really bad it's at that. Pretty I talked to my uh, I talked to my therapist about this and I said, you know, I'm really uncomfortable. It's social or business gathering when I'm not sitting down and comfortable and just walking around and all this. And he said, so sit down, which, you know, was really good advice. Like if you're not comfortable doing something, don't force yourself to do it because you're not going to be good at it. And I'm not talking about like Malcolm Gladwell, 10,000 hours where you get better at something and iron sharpens iron and all that. Right. I'm talking about something that you really don't enjoy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I see. But, you know, you just said something, too, that I think is a really good lesson for how to approach networking, which is when you're coming at it from, hi, my name is and this is what I do and this is who I am and listen to me talk all about me and just pay, again, pay attention to me versus like, I'm just asking questions about you because I'm genuinely curious about you, like what brought you to this event? Tell me about your business. I find it so much easier when I'm making it about the other person and I barely talk about me at all, right? Like that whole concept of act like you're the stupidest person in the room. Cause honestly, if you're the smartest person in the room, you need a new, you need a new room, right? Cause it's going to be like the most boring place ever for you to be. So, but you said that in there, right? Which is like, you don't do well when it's, uh, when you're trying to be like, Hi, this is all about me, but when you're just like listening and learning about other people, and I think that's the biggest thing right about good network is you have you're always selling yourself always. I don't care what you do, any business, right. any job, any you have to make it, what's in it for the other person? <laughs> Why do they care about talking to you? What can you do for them? How are you adding value to them in that interaction? Correct?
1: Right. Well, and going back to the venture thing, you know, I joke about the dinner thing, but I am I am really good at a dinner table full of 8 to 10 people. That is where I do my best. That is where I'm sounds really obnoxious, but the most charming and the most engaged um, and all that, you know, and Richard taught me that skill, you know, it's, and, and it's a fine line between being really social and gregarious and then taking a step back. You can't listen too much and you can't talk too much. You know, everyone's like, oh, just be a good listener, but you still have to engage people because being, if somebody who you just listens, you actually make people uncomfortable. And it's funny, I had a friend of mine, a really close friend of mine call me the other day and, and he just, every once in a while will like come up with like, I was thinking about you and here's what I thought. And he said, you know, Nero, you're actually a very shy person. And I said, really? Because no one has ever called me that. He goes, yeah. You love, if you're comfortable in a situation, you can sit down and pontificate. You absolutely hate being alone in a crowd. And I said, you are 100% right. So yeah. I try to minimize that. Or if I go to a networking group, I, I always have a concept of home base. Yeah. Because I have a couple friends who are incredibly good at small talk. My wife is amazing at small talk. My buddy, Johnny, who was partners at Crestville Timer is great at small talk. I'm horrible at small talk. If you yeah. come up to me and are like, Hey, how you doing? What's going on? After like three seconds, I'm like, I have nothing else to say. But if you actually talk about real things and, and I violate that whole rule of like, never talk about politics, religion, or sex. because Those are probably the three most interesting things you could ever talk to me about other than sports. Yeah. Um, so I really want to talk about big stuff. I want to talk about real stuff. I want to talk about real concepts and all that. I don't like talking about small talk. I don't like being polite. But that makes me stand out as having a bigger personality. So I think that helps. I think, you know, the most important thing about getting away from small talk and finding a thing you can really talk about.
0: Yeah, I like that, though, because you're saying don't do what's uncomfortable. So people who are introverts or whatever, they're like, oh, that really bothers, I really can't do that. Right. Then it's like, just stop trying to make yourself do it, right? I read,
1: an, I read an article or a story or you know something that stayed with me that said the lowest form of social talk is asking somebody what they do for a living.
0: Mm. You know that's a, the question in D.C. I hate it, right? I mean, when I was a dating coach, that was the first thing I had to train people. Now, I'm like, are you on a job interview or are you trying to find a date? Like, stop asking because people assume things from what people do, right? Then they don't ask the real questions that really matter because they've plugged in all the answers based off of what that person does for a living but you know um as we a dating coach the, you would
1: I'll ask it if it comes up in conversation if somebody references something they do but yeah. I won't ask it blindly pretty much ever like I was I was playing golf on Saturday social distance wise and, or Friday and these two guys were really nice gregarious guys and at some point John was talking about my buddy John who's an actor was talking about something and he goes oh what do you do for a living because it was referencing what was relevant so it's yeah. like stay away from that question it's like anything else with good conversation or a relationship or anything else it has to begin organically.
0: Well, you'll you'll appreciate this. So, when I was a date coach and I ran in the date coaching world, one of my buddies led something called Authentic Relating Games. It's like a game night, but it's all about authentic relating. And one of the things you do is you pair up you you do a lot of things, but you pair up and you're not allowed to ask a question that you don't genuinely care about the answer to. So you're not allowed to ask like, oh, so where do you live if you genuinely just don't give a shit about where that person lives, right? So you immediately have to go to like these, real, and it's amazing how quickly when people have that rule, they jump to like, really deep things like, oh, I heard that, you know, I overheard you say you were fighting with so-and-so like, is your marriage doing okay? Like, and you don't even know this person, right? And you're like, know, um.
1: Know, Alcoholics Anonymous. Have you ever, I don't know if you've ever had any friends who were in the program and I'm a big backer, but it's helped a lot of friends of mine. But yeah. But I noticed about Alcoholics Anonymous is they spend so much time talking deeply about themselves in their meetings. When they get out of their meetings, they ask you the most intense questions ever. You're yeah. like, whoa, I, just, <laughs> I don't even I know just- your name. And you're asking me like, you know, like my dating life. Um, it was funny. You talk about the, and I, you, I can also tell when somebody's doing shtick, there was a, a dating coach who you may or may not know and who invited me to a party. And I, just cause I was friends with him. I have never, used, I mean, I, you know, I, I'd never gone that route for better or for worse. And this guy comes up to me and says to my friend, you look like a young Campbell Scott. Okay. Weird. And we start talking to this guy a little bit. And it was like a singles mixer that he invited us to just to like the extra people there. Yeah, yeah. And then he looks at me and he goes, you look like a young Elliot Gould. And I'm like, oh, this guy's doing shtick. <laughs> it's like somebody gave this guy conversation starters. Like yeah. he would read it like, ask who they look like famous. <laughs> it was so stupid.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's all about the authenticity. It's that balance of like, really, I, I really like your advice of if you feel uncomfortable doing something, don't try to force yourself to do it. Because I think even tying it back, right, to to building a business out there, when people are like, I hate Facebook. And I'm like, well, then stop trying to make Facebook like the crucial point of your business. Like, well, you maybe have to have a presence on Facebook, maybe depending on your business. But just because that's the way I'm building my business doesn't mean that's the way you have to build your business. You re- And that comes to the comparison thing, which you talked about when you were an entrepreneur, which is like, well, he's getting this and he's doing it like that. And entrepreneurs fall into that. Well, that's how she's getting clients. So I need to get clients like that. Or that's how they're building their business. So that's what I need to do. And so ever just asking, like, what is it that I enjoy doing? Because I think if you tap into your strengths, right, you're going to go a lot further than if you don't. And I think that that's really important in- and all things, but I want to, I want to cut over to, so that was about networking and meeting people and interact, but musicians really do have to build an audience and to get back to the orchard. That's what the orchard was helping people do. Now that's more important than ever for musicians to empower themselves, to build their own audience. Well, entrepreneurs have to do the same thing. They have to build an audience around their business. You have to build an audience around the businesses you've had. And you're even building it on You're the, like the one man band at the, homework, right? With the crown, crown media for the homework channel in helping with that. How do you suggest people get eyes on the, to build not just connections but like an audience, like fans? When you were working with musicians to do that, what are some
1: as some tips?
0: Well, like sure, as because I think it can be parallel. I really think it can be paralleled to solopreneur entrepreneurs. Okay, out
1: well there then too. I will tell you this. I'll tell you this. My advice, and and obviously in the COVID generation, this is really hard. Mm-hmm. My advice was always play every single show you would ever get offered, as long as you had the time to do it and it didn't cost you money. You know, don't pay to play, but if like, you yeah. was play the opening of an envelope, pay a kid's birthday party, you will always get better. You will learn how to be in front of an audience and learning to be in front of an audience isn't necessarily about making people like your music. It's also about learning what they don't like about your music, you know? One of the best benefits of being a musician is you get that instant feedback. And one of the nicest things about it is while you're playing, you don't get the feedback. You can just kind of get lost in the song. Most people will clap politely at the end of the song unless it's just god awful. Unlike a comedian where you get instant feedback of whether you suck or not. Um, So I think you get to, you know, you get to sharpen your skills, both presentation and actual song quality. I think is really important. And I think translating that to entrepreneurship, unless somebody is so far afield from what you do, take every meeting, take every phone call.
0: Thank you. Thank you, guys. See, you heard it from somebody else, not just me. But one thing that I, I the way that I built my business the quickest were two things. Number one, I removed the paywall when I just took free clients at the beginning. I just had a bunch of free clients so that I could like have the experience, get the work done, and also just have testimonials and have people talking about me, right? But the second thing was I spoke everywhere for free, so now I get paid to speak, right? Now I'm a paid speaker, but I still go speak places for free. But especially at the beginning of my business, I spoke any and everywhere that I could go speak to get visible. I talked about, I took every podcast interview. I took, so I say that I said yes to almost everything until, like you said before, I was so busy that I couldn't say yes to everything anymore. And I had to be very discerning about my time, right? And there will come that moment for people. Now, I wanna touch on something you just said that I really love, which is, one of the most important things you can do to build an audience around you is to actually pay attention to your audience and like notice what they like and what they don't like right so like i just launched a program and i sent an email out to some people who kept looking at because that's the power of the internet i can see every person who clicked that link and looked at the sales page over and over and over again and did not purchase it right so i can email them and say i'm just curious like why did you not purchase the program and people are terrified to ask these questions and find out because they don't like the rejection again they don't want to hear that something they did isn't good, right? So, but but after you build this audience, after you build an awareness, you have to kind of keep nurturing the relationship with people, right? So how do musicians do that? Musicians are artists, right? They love the music. They love, A lot of them aren't the business people. They're not wearing the business hat. So all these people start following them. What can musicians do to continue to nurture a relationship to make these people true fans, right? Loyal Loyal followers, brand advocates for these musicians.
1: I think when you're starting out, you need to make people feel special to make them feel special that they're in on something. Um, I think that's really, really important in the same way as in business, you make somebody feel special. You know, like I try to, if it's somebody I really like, I try to give them special attention. If it's somebody that I know I'm not going to do anything with, I'm like, whatever, I'm good. Uh, and that, that's just the, the nature of the amount of time that I have. So that being said, um, how do make a musician stand. out? I mean, the thing that always drove me to look, work on your craft first and foremost, you know, I always thought it was, I always was annoyed at musicians who worried more about the show than the music or like tried to be weird and stand out. Like I'm going to wear a bowler hat or whatever. And and, and, and that will be my shtick is I'm the guy with the bowler hat. <laughs> I can't stand, I'm not a big fan of, a, you know, a few artists who do that. And there's one artist yeah. in particular who's got a signature look, not my sound at all, but it works for him. But he also has the chops to back it up.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. So be excellent at what you do. It's like the very first way to I'll stand out is just be really good at what you do, right? Like be yeah. And make it about the other people. I think make people feel special, right? I mean, and if you put that in marketing, because you did marketing for a lot of these companies you've worked at, right? that's like VIP lists and like first to know and behind the scenes peaks and making, pe- you know, that's what Instagram stories is, right? That's what Facebook stories is in, in our regular world is. Those are your loyal – I mean, those are people who really like you who are taking time to watch your stories, right? Those are people who really – so give them, like, the, the stuff that you're not giving. I don't know. There's a company out in California. I don't know if you know them. They're a, a retail company. They're called Bando. Like, they sell these products, ba really quirky. You'd probably love them. They're, they're a great company. But I've never seen marketing done as well as Bando, which is – and the way they use Instagram stories. So what they will do is there are sales and specials and giveaways – that only pop up and they pop up like every day in the middle of 50 other Instagram stories. Right. But you have to watch their stories and then you catch it. And it's like the next five people get this free shirt. Yeah. Like it's amazing. Right. And so really making people feel special and giving them things that they can't get in the way that the general public could just go Google. And And that's how you get
1: get loyalty. Look, I'm trying to think of there's an example of where I get loyalty when I get some, you know, you go to a restaurant, right. Hopefully it's a good restaurant. There's a lot of good restaurants, but I'm trying to remember where we went and we had a really good conversation with the waiter and the waiter came out and said, hey, this is compliments of the chef. Here's an extra little snack. Yeah. And it was great. Like I love that stuff. It's funny. I care more about when I'm in a restaurant other than the food, I don't really care what the restaurant looks like as long as it looks dirty. But I mean, I want a certain vibe for sure. Like I don't want a really brightly lit restaurant or anything like that. But I care so much more about the experience than about they have cool art on the walls.
0: Yeah, no, it's so important, right? So one thing I was just talking to somebody about the other day is I said, look, the best thing you can do in your sales and marketing is make people feel the way they're going to feel when they're your client. Because they're already assuming that the minute they become your client, you're probably gonna care less about them, right? Once you get their money, it's like, okay, cool, they got my money, they're probably gonna treat me less than, right? So the bar is already set for, so if you're not treating them very well before they become a client and they think they're gonna be treated worse after you sign them or you, know, you have their money and it's a done deal, so you really have to let them know Your experience with me as your whatever is going to be incredible and amazing. And I'm going to show you that in the marketing and the sales process. I'm going to make you feel like you will feel when you're my client. It's going to be incredible. So that if you think it's going to be less than, it's still going to be freaking incredible. And I don't think enough people do that in the marketing. Tell me in these, because you've had all kinds, you've done business development for record labels. You've done marketing. You, you were a booker, right? You booked bands. You have done music strategy. You do music licensing, music distribution, right? When it came to marketing, what are some mistakes that you see being made in the marketing side of business?
1: Of music or television?
0: Let's go with television on this one or music. I mean, I guess either way, right? Again, I think it, it's universal.
1: Kind of thing. So mistakes made on the marketing side of TV or music.
0: Like what would be bad marketing? What would just be, if you're like, oh, that's just. Okay.
1: Really here's right. bad marketing in music, making your first song a cover.
0: Yeah. Not letting it be individual or you, right?
1: Well, it's just that, you know, a cover, if nobody knows your music and they know the cover, the only thing they're going to ever remember about you is that cover song.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Unlike no, I like Your own. Yeah. Make it true. And you
1: become a gimmick act, you know, versus. So, like, I always say never start a show with a cover, never end a show with a cover, because that's the, the only thing people are going to remember. You want them to remember your song as the last thing. Now, unless you're like a big famous band and whatever, but if you're yeah. like, I'll never forget. There was this guy I was helping out as a friend, and he was doing like U2 songs and Billy Joel songs, and just, and it was very hacky and like very man esque, and it was really bad. And, so I gave him that advice. I'm like, play your own stuff. Do one or two covers. Make If you're going to do a cover, make a song that's really meaningful to you. Don't make it a crowd pleaser and make it your own. And he literally, apparently, he got up on stage at the next gig and said, yeah, my, and I wasn't in the audience. He goes, yeah, this friend of mine's been helping me. And he just tells us I should do this, this, and this. And I say, well, fuck that. And then he played a Beatles song. Yeah. And he is now a hedge fund manager. So... <laughs> Literally,
0: the music wasn't working for him. No, I love – so I turn – I mean, I turn everything into rules and, like, analogies about entrepreneurship and business ownership in general. But, I mean, there's so many – like, I don't know if you follow, like, the entrepreneur world or the business coaching world. But, like, there are the Marie Forleo's of the world who is, like, a big business coach woman that became, like, super followed and adored by – all other women that ever want to run a business and they copycat her, right? They copycat her website. They copycat her programs. They copycat, they copycat, right? And like then they v. wonder why they're not doing well. Huh?
1: It was like Gary V in that world.
0: Yeah, Gary V. But people can't copy Gary V because Gary Vee is like very scary right i mean but this is like she's gotta stop so women will just like her website came out and it was like groundbreaking at the time every woman entrepreneur copied the look of her websites and i have to be just like this right and then they wonder why they're not doing well and it's because i if i could just sum up entrepreneurship and like rules right or like what what's the secret of success it's really do your own stuff keep your eyes on your own paper like compete against yourself. Don't do what other people are doing. You have to create things that are authentically yours and you have to lead from that place. I, I just think that it's so important, but I, I, can, I get why it's hard to do because you feel like that's what I need to be doing to be as successful as that person. But the reason that person is successful is they did things their way. <laughs> they did it their own way. That's what made them successful, not what they did, but that they did their thing. And I guarantee if you do your thing, you can be just as as successful, it just drives, drives me crazy. But but where do you feel like musicians fail when it comes to building their career? Like what is most likely to make a musician put down their instruments and like walk away and
1: become well, look, something if you're, else? If you're a real musician, you never put down or walk away. You just yeah. stop trying to make it as a career. Look, and there are way too many musicians who are like trying to make it who are no clue what they're doing. You know, the, the story of like the person who failed in the pop world and then at 40 years old moves to Nashville to try to be a country singer is like
0: eh, maybe you should
1: focus your energies on something else.
0: Well what makes for a sustainable career? Let's go that route. Like well, what well,
1: makes the, the mistakes I mean look, don't try to tell people you're doing the world's most original thing because that's not true. Every I you know Elvis Costello said every artist is a magpie and a thief and it's true. Yeah, Um because unless you are like and even if you were like taking nails, hammering to a backboard, you know, copying the sound of a jackhammer while a bird sings through a nose flute, somebody's probably tried to do it.
0: Yeah. There are no new ideas out there, right? someone's tried to do it. It's just how you
1: compile the notes and make it your own.
0: Oh, that's it. So there's a book. Have you read this book called Steal Like an Artist by Austin Kleon? If you haven't, I think it's really quick and easy. But that's his whole concept. It's like there are no new ideas, but it's how you think about it. It's your thoughts around it. It's how you compile it, how you express it that – Makes you the artist, right? So stop trying to invent something brand, brand new because you you can't, right? But it's do it your own way, and that's what makes you an artist, right? Exactly. So, yeah, no, and, and,
1: and, and yeah, that's the other thing like be original to yourself, but don't try to be original for original sake,
0: yeah. yeah. No, the, I
1: The totally token agree. is if you're going to steal from somebody, don't copy it exactly, <laughs> you're a, be, yeah.
0: Thinking back to college, college
1: yeah, I know. I mean, like.
0: <laughs> No, I'm not I'm just kidding. I did not. Did
1: you not can borrow that. and evolve. But borrow. don't copy. Borrow, you know, you can be inspired by. It. Use it as inspiration, Yes,
0: a- that's that's a big thing. It's like you can be inspired by other people but don't copy other people. Um Okay, so when you started your first business, what was your definition of success way back then? What defined success for young
1: What defined entrepreneurs success? I literally have no idea the answer to that question.
0: Really? You don't know? No idea. Well, what defines I, success I, for I you now?
1: I'm done when I'm done and I'm still striving and I still feel like I'm a young kid. and I still feel like I'm learning. So I guess success is when you don't have to learn anything anymore. But I feel like if you stop learning, then that's a really dumb way to live your life. So I'm not really sure what that means. Okay. Say, all right. I mean, look, I'm, I'm comfortable. I have a nice house and a family and, and I live in a nice neighborhood and all that. So according to some people, I'd be successful, but I don't think I'm done.
0: Yeah, no, I don't think success means being done, right? I think that I've asked a couple of people that question before. Sometimes it's like, oh, well, my definition of success was how much money I made or how many people followed me on Instagram or, you know, something like that. But now my definition of success is like, am I able to live the life I want to live? Am I able to like spend time with my family? Am I able to travel? Am I able to, right? And it's not like the the external metrics, but more internal, like definition of success. Right. That's usually the answer, right? That's a good answer. It's like, well, it's not external anymore. It's internal, but I like yours better because I think it's more authentic and real, which is like, who the hell knows? Like, I'll tell you yeah. once I feel like I've, because most people, this is the thing I, I keep hearing from people in my community. When will I feel, <laughs> when will I feel like, and I shared this story about Brie Larson and Jennifer Lawrence, cause it's one of my favorites, right? But before Brie Larson was captain, America and before she or what Captain Marvel and before all of that, she was in another movie, one, like one of the, I don't know, like Academy Oscar, you know, something like that. And she called Jennifer Lawrence and she's like, oh, when will I feel like I've made it? Like, I just won this big award. When am I going to feel like I made it? Cause I still don't. Jennifer Lawrence is like, you're never going to feel like you made it. Like, that's the biggest lesson you can learn is you're, ne- there's not a moment that you just wake up and go, I made it now. Like, that's it. I feel like it. You're, you're always going to feel like an imposter. You're never going to feel like you've made mean, that true for you? Do you find that to be true for you?
1: Oh, 100%.
0: 100%. Yeah, like I don't feel it. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. So stop looking for that. So I, I think your answer is like one of the most authentic real answers around success that I've heard. But if you were to start a business today, if you were to start, like if you were like, I'm out of here, Crown Media and Hallmark Channel, Table Flip, right? What would you do? And what would you do differently than you did when you started kind of your earlier?
1: If I was going to do that, then I would do that.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I'm so not you don't
1: do that. I'm happy with my job. So it's good.
0: Would, I'm not saying you're not happy with your job. I'm just curious, I like, it differently. What would you do? If, or or let, even this way, let's word it that if you today
1: uh-huh. could
0: travel back in time and encounter Daryl just starting the first business, like in the middle of starting the orchard, and you could give some advice. Like, what would you tell that, Daryl? I know that it's like a butterfly effect and a ripple effect. And it's like, people always say, I would never say anything because I don't no. want anything to be different. But like, really, if it didn't change the trajectory of your life, what would you tell that, Daryl? I
1: think I would have been less argumentative in things. Okay. Um, I think I would have fought the battles that I could fight versus every battle. Yeah. That's just me as a person. That's just also personal growth. I used to be a very sort of, contrarian's not the right word because I think a contrarian says no for the sake of saying no. I was... Um, I fought for everything. And if I disagreed, I fought for everything big or small. And and you can't do that. You can't do that with people you work with. You can't do that in life. You can't do that in marriage. You've got to go, all right, don't, you know, it's not even don't sweat the small stuff because some small stuff could be big stuff. It's pick your battles, choose what you think you are most comfortable doing. Um, I think I would change that a little bit. I think I would focus on the job that I needed to do and not worry about everybody else as much.
0: Yeah, yeah, I could The only that. time
1: you really need to worry about every, you know, if somebody wants you, they'll ask you. If they don't want you, they don't ask you. Like, you know, take your ego out of it is enormously important. It's not about you. If somebody doesn't ask you something, it's not about you. And then if you, if you keep bugging your way in, then they'll make it about you. And just, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, no, I like it. Just take your, I mean, that's, there's enough. It's like, if I could just sum up, you know, entrepreneurship, I could take like five of the things you've said and just be like, mic drop, that's it. But it's hard, it's easy to say, we understand it's harder to actually do because we've all been there. We all we all or do no. it, right?
1: Say those who can't do teach.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm, so I'm te- I, I, love,
1: I love teachers. I'm just making a snarky comment. There are plenty of teachers are wonderful, incredible human beings. So I shouldn't have made that joke.
0: No, but it's true. I mean, like there are a lot of people who teach certain things because, right? Like they're just better at explaining it to other people than than doing it. i I mean, I believe so I'm a business coach that happens to only coach people doing things that I have done, right? There are things that I have done to build you know, multiple six figures, et cetera, et cetera. and I will teach those. I won't teach on things that I have not had to be successful, but as a lawyer, I didn't have to have had a DUI to like successfully defend somebody in a DUI or to be able to teach someone how to not get a DUI. There are certain things where it's like you're able to teach it without having to do it. And I think I hear too much in entrepreneurship. Oh, well, if they never did it for themselves. No, there are people who can probably teach you how to build a really nice business that never actually built a successful business. Will they know some of the The blocks or the real stuff that gets in the way to that, probably not, and not be able to help you navigate because they never had to go through the personal, internal, get in your own way kind of shit that happens in a business, right? But they can, textbook, right? They can give you the textbook rules of good marketing or the textbook rules of, and those are valuable, right? But like, until you've done it.
1: I am, you know, I think it's also about knowing yourself. I think, and going back to the teacher thing for a second, I think what a lot of teachers do are, like, if you're a great if you want to teach somebody how to play guitar, maybe you can't, you don't have the ability or the singing voice or that thing in your brain that makes you put chords together into beautiful songs, but you can teach people how to do those chords, right? And I think, you know, the same way as like, you know, there are great golf coaches out there who may never be able to be on the PGA tour because they just don't have the physical attributes to do it. And I think that with being a teacher, I think in another way to look at it is like, I am not going to write the great American novel. This is me, Daryl Berg. I'm a good writer. I don't have the patience to do it, whatever.
0: That's something I hear in a lot of your podcast interviews, by the way, when what? I was talking you, you just have zero patience.
1: Yeah, I have zero patience. It's true. And the other thing is like, I am not going to be the guy who's going to tell you the plot of a great movie. But I think what I can do, and I think what it's really important for teachers to do is be really good editors. So yeah. if somebody, literally somebody could tell me the title of a song that I would never come up with on my own. And I can give you a really good story based on that song. Somebody could, you know, show me a movie and I could tell you this is what's wrong with that movie. This is what's wrong with that music. And and I think so that there is such value to that that I think that's what a teacher really is. They help edit somebody's life and put them on the path to the thing that they're best at.
0: I like that. I like that. Miss Feel that. I think that's good. Now, I'm gonna I'm gonna be inspired by that and then I'm going to repurpose that and I'm gonna make it my own, but then I will have said it and it will be amazing. Yeah. Um, I like something that you said where you're like, okay, we're in the world of COVID. 19, kind of, still, yes, forever. Um, And you're in the music industry and the entertainment industry and the entertainment industry. There were a few industries that were hit really hard, right? Hospitality, entertainment. I mean, everything came to almost a grinding halt until people started getting innovative and started pivoting. So what does that look like for you over at Crown Media and The Homework Show, you kind of hinted at it, right? But I mean, it was not business as usual and you had to start getting innovative. So I don't just mean like the technical, here's what I'm doing now that I wasn't doing then, but how does your brain like start to, because a lot of people are like, I don't get it. I need to pivot, but I don't know how to go through the thought process of pivoting or how do you stay innovative in your industry? And you were a business development manager and one of the things is to be ahead, right? In your industry, to stay ahead of trends and to stay ahead of curves. How would you advise somebody who's like, what does it mean to be innovative and how do I, how do I do that?
1: I think backing up, I think for me, it was looking at my biggest challenge when dealing with people who are musicians. Like the most common thing I ever heard was I'd be like, hey, you know, hey, I'm trying to think. Sam Hunt, big country artist. I really would love to do something with you. But the problem is, is that, and and they'd be like, yeah, we're interested, but Sam's on tour right now. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. That's, that's not going to happen with Sam. Yeah. And other than one particular artist who I really, really, really want to do stuff with who's not getting back to me, the thing that I realize is, well, if we're going to start putting projects in development, now is the time because they've got a lot of free time. And so let me pitch them now. Let me get them married to the idea. And yeah, maybe they'll go back on tour. But when they're not on tour, we can work on this. And that was the yeah. thing that I realized is that we have the time to do this now. So let me... You know, let me go with all those crazy ideas and really try to push the envelope. So I think that's important. I think, you know, with marketing or creative marketing right now, that is a challenge. And part of it is a challenge because the ad ad dollars aren't there. So that's a big problem right now. But, you know, I I don't know. There's probably a lot of other examples that I could find of things that I've been more you know, creative during during COVID. But I think the biggest thing is just understanding that I have access to things that I didn't have access to before.
0: Well, what do you do to stay up on industry trends? When somebody says it's really important that if, because here's a reality about being a solopreneur, right? And this is what I help teach people how to do, which is if you really want to run a business, if you want to be the CEO of a business, you have to eventually put yourself into the position of the CEO, which means you might have to not do as much of the 18 million other hats, or even the service provider part of your job as much as you're doing the CEO part of your job. So one thing that falls to the wayside is I'll ask people, okay, great, you're a social media manager. What are you doing to stay up to date on trends in social media? It's like, oh, well, I'm so busy doing all this social media (laughs) for my clients. I don't have really all this time to stay up on industry trends. Like, how look do you what other
1: people are doing? And if you're not, you have to do that. I mean, look for me, yes. obviously there's, you know, billboard and Polestar and all that. But the other thing is, is that I literally look what other people are doing. I, you know, if I musically, I look at what other music is being used in shows for composers. I listen to what other composers are being used in shows. Luckily I have everything sent to me because of my job. Like here's what we just did. And because everybody, because I'm a buyer. So because I'm a buyer of talent, a buyer of, of copyright, people, are very interested in informing me of what's up because I have money to spend. Yeah. Um, but you know, on the other side, when you're looking for people to pay, to pay you, that's a lot more challenging and you have to re- I mean, especially you have to figure out why somebody would pay you more than anybody else.
0: Yeah, no, that's it. You have to know. So it's like, so you have to stay ahead on industry trip. Like follow, join trade associations, read publications. If you want to be a professional speaker, I get people all the time, read how do you get paid to speak? Like watch other paid speakers watch what they're doing, watch where they are, watch how they're pitching themselves, watch how they're talking about what they do. You really but don't do it to copy it. Do it to ask why are they doing it? Like that? what do they
1: have? Whether, what are they doing that I'm not doing that I should be doing? What are they doing that I can't do so that you understand your limitations? Mm -hmm. And what aren't they doing that maybe I would do a little bit differently?
0: There you go, guys. Those are the three questions that you can take and translate to be an innovator. (laughs) Those are it. That's it right there. There's the the Daryl version of the blue ocean strategy, like right there, circle it, use that for your innovator. I want to, I saw a quote about something with the Hallmark channel. I want to, I want to talk to you about it because I found it really interesting is, um, you were explaining to somebody what you do right now in your current position. It was basically that you you build relationships with like composers and songwriters, but you do it to create a distinctive brand experience for hallmark, you know, movie watching and, right? I don't know. I found it online. That's what you said. you said that it was a while ago. It's like they'll all have to find it and send it to you, right? But something about or somebody was explaining your job or something. But it was basically like, that the music helps create a distinctive brand experience, right, for people who are watching homework. Do you believe that? Is that not true? Did you not I say mean, that? It's
1: like, funny. We have a sound, for sure, on the Well, It's funny. We had a sound that we decided wasn't very good, and it wasn't very good. So they brought me in to define a new sound. And I think, you know, one of the things I'm working on right now is sort of modernizing our sound or make I don't want to say cooler because cool is such not what Hallmark Channel is, but making our sound more relevant to what's going on in the world. I think in some past years, you know, with Christmas music, for example, it was like all Perry Como, all Andy Williams, all Bing Crosby, and that was it. And I'm like, but but that's not what everybody listens to. Otherwise, Gwen Stefani and Jesse J and Blake Shelton and all them wouldn't put out Christmas records. So we need to find a balance on that. And I think that's a big thing that I'm working on. Is really evolving us versus revolt, you know, you know, evolution versus revolution. I'm not trying to change everything. I'm just trying to add some things that make us more relevant.
0: Yeah, but I think, I, I, well, if you didn't say it, you should have said that because I think it is really interesting to think about sound and music as part of the brand experience, right? Oh, no, actually are-
1: we are using, but, but we're using it in, in different ways. Like we have our sound and score and we have the style of music and the vibe of music that we use, but we also don't want to be so locked into our sound that we can't expand beyond it.
0: Yeah, I love, I I think that that's really important. That's an important lesson for entrepreneurs in general. Again, the solopreneurs out there are so focused on their branding, right? Like before they've ever had a client, before they've ever done anything in their business, they wanna pay $10,000 to like lock in colors and a logo and a look and a feel. And like your brand is who you are, right? Your brand is the the feeling that people get from interacting with you and dealing with you, which is like what the Homework Channel does for so many women entrepreneurs out there, especially, I know, right? You get a feeling when you're what, but- What's the thought process behind creating a brand or creating a brand experience for someone? I think
1: it has to be authentic. It has to be an authentic, original brand. I I remember JCPenney, which is now, I think, out of business, or maybe JCPenney hired this new CEO to rebrand the company, or he hired him, whatever. And what happened was he ended up rebranding the company and... The problem was, is that they rebranded to a demo that they had no business being a part of, which was like, they tried to do what Target did, but Target rebranded themselves without forgetting their original audience. Casey Penny like totally did this rebrand and it almost killed the company and now they're out of business, but you got to be authentic. You got to know who your clients are. You got to know who your customers are. You also have to do one thing really, really well before you can do everything else. Look, I use Amazon as an example before. Amazon sold books really, really well. They sold music really, really well. And then they moved on. You can't try, you can't open a general store this day and age. You just can't.
0: My audience is sitting there going, Rita must be like, oh, I got like, I love it. because guys, you have to do one thing really, really, really well before you can do anything else. So listen to th- this is where I want to end in the interview. I just want to be like, all right, we're done, we're done right here because that's it. So many people are like, well, how can I also do this and how can I also? And I don't care if you're talking about marketing or you're talking about sales or what you offer or what your businesses or that you want to have three different businesses. You have to have one working like a well-oiled machine <laughs> before you can start becoming the Richard Branson of the world and diversifying into two or three or four other businesses. You can't have like four crappy half-assed businesses out there and expect to be successful. Like do one thing and do it really, really well. And that's what I love about what you're talking about about the brand experience is you have to know your audience. You have to know the feeling you give them. You have to know the value you're providing, the impact, the transformation you're causing in people. And I mean, we don't think of television as doing that very much, right? But if there is a channel, Hallmark would be one that I think causes a lot of that for people, right?
1: And we have a very strong brand. We have, but I mean, look, we also have this incredibly strong brand because we have Hallmark proper, and it's the same feeling. You know, it's interesting. One of the things that's going on right now is we're, we're not really rebranding, but we're repositioning ourselves in the sense that there's a lot going on in the world right now. And we're not about a specific kind of demographic love. We are yeah. whatever. As long as you love somebody, that's all we care about. Care enough and be in love and be and love somebody, whether the green, brown, black, yellow, Pink, purple, man, woman, fish, armchair. Doesn't matter. Just as long as you love and you love properly, then we're fine.
0: Well, what do you think it is about the Hallmark Channel that elicits such loyalty? Because I will say, and I was joking about this, but it really is true that in the world of like female entrepreneurship, there's nothing like Hallmark and there's nothing like the Hallmark Channel at Christmas time and like the conversations that happen and then all the memes and all the jokes and all the things, but it's very real, right? People love. The homework Channel, but like, what do you think it is that elicits that loyalty and that love for that channel?
1: I think most of the memes that are funny, and I don't want to talk about the serious side because there's been some stuff that I don't want to address that, but so most of the memes are very honorific and sweet because that's what we are. We're not a nasty thing. We're a very positive thing. I think that's part of it. Um, I think that you know it. I think there's a lot of comfort in familiarity. Yeah. um, Which for better or for worse, you know, I mean, we're trying to diversify a little bit now, but we're not going to go, you know, you're not going to suddenly see, like, I'll tell you, we um. there was an article that came out yesterday or two days ago that said, we are trying to compete with like the AMCs and HBO, and we're going to set up a, a movie, we're going to have a, a soap opera that takes place in space. And my CEO sent it out. I'm like, what are you talking about? And she's like, exactly. No one knows where this has come from. That would be too different for us. It's the same way as like, I'm not trying to use different music now for the sake of being different. I'm just trying to have music that fits what we do. My my the difference is I don't care what artist it comes from. If your last song was a speed metal song and now you just put out a beautiful ballad, I'll use the beautiful ballad. I don't care as long as you're not, you know, as long as your music doesn't have a history of you know badness or, or you've done some bad things. And the smartest that I won't use because of what they've done in their past. Like I have no issue with that. So, but we want to stay true to our brand. We want to stay true to our audience. We want to give our audience something that they feel comfortable with and soothing. And I think that's part of our success is that you know what you're going to get. I also, it's funny, um, you know, a lot of people give us crap. Oh, you make these cheesy rom coms. In this period of COVID, I've actually exposed myself to other companies making stuff and you laugh, but our stuff is better acted. Our stuff does look better. We have better production values. We have bigger budgets. The soundtracks are better. We do really – it is formulaic in a lot of ways, but we do that formula – like I said before, we do one thing and we do it really Yeah, but
0: you well. do it really – and that's the whole point, right? It's like take away what the one thing is, whether people love, you know, like rom-coms or not. Like I happen to love them. I was not laughing at it. But like it's consistency. It's consistency in how you show up. It's consistency so that people know what to expect and they're not – I mean – but. It's not that it's boring. It's like you still push the envelope, but it's always under the same, like you said, the same brand, the same experience. People just trust and know and love because of consistency. And so I think for entrepreneurs out there, if you could take away anything, it's like, how can you factor in more consistency in how you're showing up in your message that you're saying, who you're being when you're in front of people? Because that's what builds trust. That's what builds loyalty is people have to know you are consistent and then they're going to trust you. If you're inconsistent, why would they trust you or even know what they're supposed to to trust about you. So, Daryl, the way that I end these podcast interviews is I just do, like, a quick little rapid fire of just, like, a couple of questions where I say don't, like, overthink it. Just tell me, like, your answers I, to the no, questions.
1: My first answer is always the right an- my right answer, so you're not Yeah, getting-
0: you're always right. Yeah, you're always right. So what, one question that's actually not part of rapid fire, I am actually curious about this. Do you find yourself pairing situations or things to music in your brain? Do you do that? I asked because I had this guy who's a public speaker, but he also is, like, a big, huge wine expert, big big one guy yeah. and he pairs like wine to. he's like okay like tell me like your situation and I compare that to like to like a wine right it reminds me of like this wine and this is why do you like constantly just think about music in your head all the time
1: I'm always thinking about music and I'm always thinking about like you know if there's a song I've heard 35,000 times I will actually try to listen to it in a new way and I'll try to pick out instruments that I haven't heard before and go oh I never noticed the kunga there or something like that I'll try to reimagine it so to prevent myself from being bored to be brutally honest um, as far as like music, and stuff, the stuff—the only time I ever think God a song would be great here, because I always have music going on, so there always is music—is like if somebody had their own personal theme song when they walked into a room.
0: Okay, I would love, I see, I th- I do think that. Like, I think that about it's people. Like, like When I when I led a kickball team for the singles group that I ran, I mean, we were called the Scorgasmic Singles. We were the best kickball team that there, we lost every game. But we were still the best kickball team that there was in the area. But I made everybody have a theme song for when they went up to kick the and ball that, because well, I that think we said that
1: it too. common in baseball. It's common in, yeah. in pro I mean, wrestling. It's-
0: but it's how I think about people when I see them walking down the street. I'm <laughs> like, oh. That's your, I, that's the theme song oh, yeah, that I, I put with you right there.
1: Whatever well, yeah. reason, all my theme songs end up being like 70s funk, and I'm not really sure why. <laughs>
0: me too, me too. This is why we're friends. So one thing I do, I love, and I just want to like pull out one more lesson because I can't be Rita if I don't pull out the lesson, is what Daryl just said about when he hears a song, even if he's heard it for 35,000 times, right? Because one thing that I'm hearing in the entrepreneur world a lot is, oh, well, I know that already. Or, I've heard that already, or I've already heard that advice. And so I just want to caution you to think about it differently. Say, well, why is this coming across my path? Or how well am I doing it? You might've heard it, but like, how well are you doing the thing that you've heard 5,000 times? Are you doing it? Well, like, even if you've heard something over and over and over, don't rule it out and say, I know that I don't have to listen anymore. Like change your perspective about what you're taking away from it. And I think that that's so powerful. So, um, Okay, so what podcasts are on your podcast playlist?
1: Cocaine and Rhinestones, which is a history of country music up until from 1930 to 2000. is unbelievable.
0: Oh, my sister would love that. I'm going to write that one down.
1: Unbelievable. It's like probably, and it, it, it does the context of country music within society. It's not just like, this guy went into the studio. It's unbelievable. It, they haven't put out an episode in a while, but it's really great. It's by a guy named Tyler Mahanco. He also has one called Your Favorite Band Sucks, which I really like, which is more of a snarky, like scholarly takedown of why everything's terrible. But it's it's sort of done with love and sort of not. I like The Daily by The New York Times. Everyone okay. tomorrow will check into Mark Marin.
0: And now you're gonna start listening to the read me me do 100% it show
1: 100 do that you I don't know, listen to a ton of podcasts also because I'm a music guy and I have to listen yeah to
0: music. yeah so. well I was gonna say I, w- I was gonna say too though have you, this you like either. I keep hopping out of the rabbit fire but like do you because music was your passion and music was your hobby but now music has become your job do you ever find that that then burns you out on music oh yeah. It's like- well it's
1: funny so part of my job is to find new music so when I go to listen to me and I am not a nostalgic person at all i I don't have any nostalgia for things the way they were. I mean, I have nostalgia for going to restaurants, but that's a different thing right now. I don't have any nostalgia for like, oh, it was better when it was this, or this reminds me of this happy moment or whatever. It's just the way I am, the way I'm built. But I find myself listening to stuff that I'm much more familiar with in my free time and explaining and and going for new music less often because I just need something that feels comfortable and I don't always have to... Because listening to new music is a challenging thing all the time. You don't get that familiar. Look, one of the reasons why songs become hits on the radio is because they get
0: played. For all of them. Oh my god! Like one of my favorite things is like <laughs> so again, totally like as as with every interview, I never stick to my own format. Um, is that whole play us the song we love, right? Like when you go to a Jimmy Buffett concert, if Jimmy Buffett I will was like never let me,
1: uh,
0: <laughs> I, I like I'm a Jimmy look at me, I'm a Jimmy Buffett girl, right? I'm from Pensacola, Florida. I can't not be a Jimmy Buffett gal, but. I use him as a as an example. If the audience is there and he's like, let me try out this brand new song right now in the middle of this concert that you all have never heard before, people are going to be like, oh my God, we're here to sing the songs that we know and love, right? That's why when your favorite song comes on the radio, you'll play it on a loop over and over and over again. You, people love listening to what they know, right? Which is what? To parallel to paralyze, think, right?
1: entrepreneurship. Here's the other problem. You also, in order to enjoy that experience with an artist, owe it to them to do something new for you, yeah, um, and have to be receptive.
0: You have to be receptive. Yeah, I don't it has to be the...
1: there, right. Jimmy Buffett's not. No one wants to hear a new Jimmy Buffett concert. But some of the stuff I I go to a smaller concerts and all that. You do want sure.
0: To... You do want to hear or it there, there, right? But
1: a like quick show, and she's like, "Here's my new single." You're probably excited to hear what. a new. You're
0: excited. Yeah, yeah. You, fe- but again, that's a, the balance between feeling like you're getting an insider thing. Of yeah, I feel like I'm here and I'm getting to hear something before the rest of the world gets to hear it. But like in general people love what they know people because because it's easy on the brain it's easy so when people when people are worried about like i am i saying this too much am i talking about this thing too much it's like people especially when they like something they want to hear it over and over if you have a lesson if you say it 80 times and it excites that person they're just gonna get more and more excited every Uh. time they hear it right so all right but back into so what what music is your like what types of music right now are you really drawn to
1: God, I miss, I don't really love what's going on in hip hop right now. There's a couple of really good things. Uh, I miss like kind of hip hop that was more melodic and musical and a little more, a little faster. There's a a really good thing going on with women with guitars, which men aren't playing guitars anymore, but women are. There's some really great female artists out there, but like playing aggressive guitars, not just like, you know.
0: Oh, wow. Okay.
1: But like aggressive, but clever, essentially is really nice um
0: that's gonna be my new that's gonna be my new profile description yeah. i'm aggressive but i'm clever
1: um like things it. that make that have energy is i'm really because things have been really somber lately like you know there's this like weird combination Afrobeat thing called krungbin from houston that's really wonderful
0: no that's cool that's cool what books are on your uh, nightstand oh, like
1: what- because of what's going on in politics and and all this i have read i have a pile of books that i need to get through that i have not finished and it's been there for like three years and I'm yeah. really upset about it. I started reading The Untethered, or The Tethered Soul, or Untethered Soul, just to do a little self-help. The, what is this guy's last name? Singer, I think is his name. Mm-hmm. Um, which people swear by. Uh, it's Michael Chabon on my desk that I need to read. Uh, what else? I need to get back to reading. You just
0: have to get back to it. Yeah, no, I gotcha, I gotcha. I'm
1: so obsessed with what's going on in the world that I haven't had the time to, to read. Plus, when you have a five-year-old, the thought of sitting in bed and, and focusing on a book. <laughs> It's like I oh, just
0: watch TV. I just want to watch TV or go to bed. I just to, I don't. I mean, I don't have kids, so so I've heard. So I've heard that it's pretty tight. We have new puppy, um, new
1: puppy and a five year old.
0: Yeah, but your puppy's the door. So every, if even if you didn't like anything about Daryl's interview, go immediately to his Instagram account and follow him because his dog, his new puppy. I mean, his current, his older, but his cur- current puppy is the cutest thing ever, and yeah. you're just gonna love it. It's gonna make like, you life. Like, well, what?
1: So that's fun.
0: What's his name? What's your new puppy's name? Remy, her. Yeah. Oh my god, so cute, so good. So, what is something people misunderstand about you?
1: That my enthusiasm is for attention rather than actually uh, the joy of getting things done.
0: Oh, that's interesting. Okay, what is a life motto that you go that you kind of live by? If you had to like sum up, or is there a life motto that has governed you or guided guided your life?
1: The thing that I've had to convince myself is if I'm like too tired to do something that could be fun and I just don't want to be bothered, be bothered because you never know what you'll experience.
0: Oh, I'm going to play that for my husband over and over and over again. Um, all right. What is a what is a hidden secret vice that you have? Something that's just like I, I can't tell people that it would be too embarrassing. I need you to announce it here on the I,
1: I only watch pro wrestling.
0: Really? Oh, that's great! I love it. What's one piece of advice you would give an entrepreneur out there right now? Somebody who is like trying to build their business or trying to build this bu- business and all of these like to use the buzz phrase "uncertain times," right? Like, what would you just advise people who are like, "I want this to work. I want my business to work. I really, every really want it to work." Ever? What'd you say? Like what I said
1: earlier: take every meeting.
0: Take every meeting. Just do say yes. Just a year of yes, right? Say yes to everything. All right, cool. Well, Daryl, thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate it. And guys, I hope you've enjoyed this. And I will catch you next week on another episode. Remember, um, the mid-year review is coming up on your business. So go check out that masterclass. And I will talk to you next week on another episode of the Read and Make Me Do It show. Hey, before you go, thank you for listening to my show. I hope that you enjoyed this episode. Please take a minute to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you get your podcasts and leave a review. It'll only take you a second, but it will help other people discover the Rita Mimi Do It show. And my goal is to share this business boosting and life-changing content with as many people as possible. In fact, because I value your time so much, every month one reviewer will win a free coaching call with me. So if you want to get laser focused and go all in on the result that you most want in your business, then leave a review now. And then head on over to RitaMamieDoIt.com where you can find the show notes from today's episode.